from God's word. This is from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. Oh God, we marvel at the glories of the kingdom and we especially marvel at the Lord Jesus. So we ask that you would use this time to impress on our hearts, on our very souls, uh, who you are and what it is that you are doing through the Lord Jesus. Uh, work in our lives, make us open to your word and to your ways. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to admit it. Um, you know, the Brits have an expression, they call it belts and braces. I don't know if you've heard that. Braces are, it's the British way of saying suspenders. So, so it's like a guy who's wearing both a belt and suspenders because he does not want his trousers to fall down. So anyway, I, I have a printed version of this, and this is the first time I'm trying to do this electronically because I think it'll work, but, you know, I, I've already had two mess-ups sitting in the corner there. So, so we'll, we'll do the best we can here. And then on top of that, you have to put up with a Bible professor. And, and I, I guess I, I start with an apology because, you know, there is a major difference between a pastor and a Bible professor. Um, you know, really good pastors, they're, they're ever mindful of the needs of others, but I'm a professor and I'm always needful of the minds of others. I, I always have to make people think. And, and, and the point is uh, not to make this a head exercise this morning. I want it to be a heart exercise. Um, and sometimes maybe I'm not very good at that. Now, now part, of that, part of the issue here is this is a tough passage. I mean, you, you know the sermon title, do I really have to do this? Um, or something like that, I forget what I said. 
Uh, this is a tough passage, and, and so, so we approach this passage you know, in awe, in fear, and also, I, I hope, with openness. So, so whatever I might say that sounds tough, I'm just trying to do the best I can to reflect what, what this passage is dealing with, because we don't like tough things in life. Uh, but you know, there are actually things that can be both tough and good, like school. Okay, it's, it's tough, homework, all that, but you know, sometimes in the middle of an assignment, there's, whoa, I really like this story, or whoa, I really got this problem. I mean, it, it's both tough and good. Um, work, okay, sometimes it feels like drudgery, but, but sometimes, you know, in the middle of something, it's like, whoa, this is actually, really, I really like doing this. It, it's hard, but I, but I like doing this. Um, dare I, as a guy say childbirth? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was just too much of a passive coach at the five childbirths that I was present at for my wife who went through it without any kind of drugs or anything. Um, or, or maybe I just watched too many episodes of Call the Midwife. I don't know. Just <laughs> um, but there's a, it's tough and it's good. Uh, exercise. You know, those of you who exercise, I don't know. Okay, so, so maybe you think I'm crazy. Uh, I, uh, we used to live in Tucson, Arizona. If you've ever been to Tucson, you know, it's, it's surrounded by mountains on all sides. I, I started running up the mountains. I love running. Okay? I'm running up the mountains. You say, that's crazy. Well, you know, there's something, yes, it's tough, but, you know, you're trudging your way up. The, it's, it's actually really good. But then, then you get to the top. There's this one bit. Uh, it's Agua Caliente Hill. I, I just kill myself going up this, this steep incline. And I got to this crest in the hill. And there's a vista of Tucson that almost nobody in the city has ever seen because they don't go up there. Um, just gorgeous, okay? It's tough. And it's good. Well, so, so what we have today is a passage, a story from Mark. It's full of toughness. And it's full of goodness. And it leaves us scratching our heads, even with questions like, is Jesus teaching salvation by works? I don't know if you heard that. Um, or, or when Jesus tells the guy to sell everything, does he expect me to do the same thing? Well, we'll get to those questions eventually. So we're going to explore the story in three basic parts. Uh, in all three, we're going to see that following Jesus is tough, and following Jesus is good. It's reflected in, in our memory verse for this part of the series, so this is the time where we get to recite it, okay? So take it out from your bulletins or open it up in the Bible, uh, Mark 10, uh, 45, or in fact, we're coming up to it next week. Uh, so here we go. For the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, thanks. So, so, so let's look at part one where Jesus meets an eager guy. Now, so, so it all starts when some guy runs up to Jesus to ask him a question. Now, now I'm saying some guy because, okay, sorry, I read this thing in the original language and, and that's really what it's, it's saying. Just someone, this, this guy comes up uh, it, it, we don't know anything about him. Mark never tells us how old he is. Uh, something that Matthew does, he tells us his stage in life. Uh, we don't know yet whether he's important or not. Um, something that Luke tells us right off the bat. Uh, so this is Mark's story. So cover over whatever heading you have in your Bible that said this is the story about 
because um, it's, it's, it's not right, sorry. Uh, uh, the editors have probably inserted something over there that's a little bit misleading. Um, those words aren't in the Bible. I instead, uh, Mark's story focus on, focuses on this guy's eagerness and his respectfulness. Uh, some guy runs up to Jesus and kneels before him. So, so let's change the heading and call this the eager guy story, okay? So, so we're looking at the eager guy story because he really is. He runs up to Jesus. It starts as, a, as an engaging personal encounter. He runs to Jesus. He kneels before Jesus. He addresses him respectfully. Good teacher, what must I do to ask to inherit eternal life? It, it's a performance question. It's also a question about his destiny. Now, we'll talk more about what he's asking so just a bit, so hold on. And when we do, we'll actually see he's not talking about the afterlife, okay, or what happens when a person dies. He's not, okay? We'll get there. But, but watch what happens as Jesus responds. The guy goes from eagerness to despair. Jesus first responds to this guy's question with his own question, and, and then he answers the guy. Uh, Jesus' question is a challenge. Why do you call me good? There's none good but, but God alone. Uh, Jesus sees something in the guy's question that we can easily miss. Part of that has to do with what this guy thinks about Jesus. He thinks he's just a teacher. He thinks Jesus is a good one, a good man, but he's just a teacher. Jesus' question begins to challenge this guy, a challenge that he will reject. Then Jesus tells him a basic answer. Keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, so he only cites five of them and then the, the, the sixth one in there, uh, okay, it's, there's no command about defrauding in the 10, but, but there actually is a commandment about not defrauding. It's in Leviticus 19. You can find it if you want. I'll be happy to show you later. Why, why does Jesus quote the 10 commandments as an answer to the guy's question? How do I get, how do I inherit eternal life? Is, is Jesus really teaching salvation by works? Well, we'll get there. The guy responds innocently enough. I've kept all these from boyhood. Now, here's where it gets tough. And it also gets good. Mark tells us Jesus' mind, his attitude. Um, Mark says, looking at him, he loved him. The tough words that Jesus is about to utter come from his love for the guy. Go sell whatever you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The guy is shocked, appalled. He, he goes from eagerness to despair, even as Jesus goes from questioning him to loving him. The eager guy rejects Jesus' love. So let's go back to the first issue I dropped on you, that the guy is not asking how he can go to heaven when he dies. He, he's really talking about how he can participate in life at the end of the age. It, it's, it's what a Jewish person would call in Hebrew, olam haba. You know, this is a really big topic. Uh, the, the idea of the end of the age is repeated a number of times in this passage, actually, with, with each with different kind of language. Um, eternal life is the first uh, expression we get. Then he starts talking about the kingdom, and then he even uses the word saved. They're all talking about the same thing. 
this is all about full participation in, in the end game of God's global reconstruction program, a program that began in earnest way back in Genesis 12 when God promised Abraham that he would bless all nations in him. Um, it, we're not always encouraged to think about this program in Christian circles, and it's too bad because it's all over the Bible. Uh, in, in the Bible's view, eternal life is not about avoiding death. In, in biblical terms, when, when someone dies, that person doesn't pass into eternity, as sometimes I hear people say. Uh, it, it's when the moment when someone believes, that's when that person enters eternity. Yeah, this is that very moment, because uh, according to the New Testament, the, the New Age is with us right now already because of Jesus. <clears throat> it's also not yet. It doesn't come in its fullness until King Jesus returns. So, so the New Testament does that to us. You know, Things we have already, but, but we're not going to see the fullness of it really until Jesus returns. And, and we need to learn to live within that tension. Uh, eternal life, the kingdom, salvation all refer to the same moment when the dead are raised bodily. When the whole world is totally remade and we all who have believed in Jesus participate in our new bodies in the new world. Um, so so, so that's, that's where this guy is going here. He, he's asking how he can participate in that end game, in the remade world, in a remade body, which is all supposed to happen under the rule of the Messiah. <clears throat> he wants to know what deed he needs to perform to seal the deal so that he is part of that. Now, what we know, what this guy doesn't recognize is that Jesus is the Messiah, as the Messiah, his role is to establish that kingdom. Not fully in this guy's lifetime, but when he, King Jesus, returns. Now, we've actually been learning all about that all throughout Mark. We saw this directly talked about back in chapter 8 a while ago. Um, when, when Peter declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. I, I, I hope you know that Christ means Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name, okay? We learned that the glorified Messiah is to return with power, something declared in, in the transfiguration story that happened just after Peter identified Jesus as the Messiah. So you catch the irony here. The guy approaches Jesus as just a good teacher, when, when Jesus is actually the Messiah, the king who will rule over all in eternal life, the eternal life of the Messiah's kingdom that he so desperately wants to be a part of, he doesn't know whom he's asking. So the conversation that he, uh, here, it, it's, it's about a very Jewish topic, the olam haba, eternal life. His question, it, it's a very Jewish question. He, he wants to be a part of that life. And, and Jesus' answer is a very Jewish answer when he quotes the Ten Commandments, uh, an answer that really doesn't satisfy the guy. So now let's deal with that first nagging question. Is Jesus teaching salvation by good works? Well, to understand how Jesus gives a good Jewish answer, we'll have to reframe any notion we might have gotten used to that, 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 that says you know, that Jews thought they could earn approval from God based on works. That's just not true, sorry. Um, Jews don't exactly talk that way in their writings that survive from that time period. Writings like you might have heard of, like, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and a bunch of other, other writings like that, whose names I won't drop on you. Um, sorry, Professor is doing it here. Um, that's not how the Bible talks about it either. In, in Scripture, Jews already had God's approval. 
and they knew it. God made them his people. He chose them at Mount Sinai. God made a covenant with their forebears, the Israelites. Go read about that in Exodus 19. Actually, we're going to come back to Exodus 19 um, this, this uh, winter. We're going to be doing the rest of, of Exodus, Brian told me this morning. So, so we'll get to rehearse all of this. Um, in, in that covenant, God officially made the Israelites his people. He chose them. Um, so, for their part of the covenant, they agreed to do his laws, commandments, statutes, ordinances, and the land that he was sending them to. The guy's question wasn't about getting in to God's people. It was about staying in, which is a really different kind of thing altogether. They keep the laws not because God said so, and certainly not to gain any standing before God, but because they said so. It was their covenant. You know, I make you my people, we'll do everything you tell us. So, so they do it because they said so. They're in a covenant relationship with God. That's really important to keep in mind. Uh, anyone who ignores the commandments then is choosing to walk away from that covenant. So Jesus is telling the guy to stay faithful in the covenant. It's, it's Judaism 101. It's also Christianity 101. You, you claim to belong to the kingdom, but you have no interest in what the king stands for? I mean, sorry, it doesn't work that way. So, so look at the guy's answer. Oh, teacher, I've kept all these things from my boyhood. He's unsure of that being enough. He, he's not being self-righteous at all. He, he's, probably has, he's probably kept them. Uh, they, they are very keepable, you know. Um, and, and, and as any good Jew knows, when... when Okay, when I sin, I always know that there's the temple. I can offer sacrifices for the atonement of my sin. I mean, it's, it's all set up that way for, for, for uh, God's people. Uh, but here with Jesus' response is, is where the story goes strange. And, and it does so in a really personal way. Remember, Mark says that Jesus, looking at the guy, loved him. So let's just stop for a moment. Think about what this is communicating. Jesus sees straight through this guy and knowing more about him than the guy is aware tells him the one piece of instruction that were he to carry it out would be the most important act he could perform for his own personal well-being. That's because the love of Jesus is always about the well-being of the people he deals with. It's a clue for us uh, as we might ask the second nagging question, does Jesus want me to do that too? If he does, we still have an answer to get it. It would be because that is what would be best for all our own well-being. Following Jesus is tough and following Jesus is good. Out of love for this man, Jesus says, ah, oh, but, but this one thing you lack, go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus is loving him in saying that. They're tough words because the action they call for feels tough to perform. Wasn't what the guy expected. He's both shocked and grieved. It's not what good teachers say. It's what a crazy person says, unless that person really does have the actual authority to command it, and Jesus does. This guy is shocked and grieved because he doesn't trust Jesus. He walks away. Only then does Mark give us the punchline. The guy had many possessions. 
So if we, you know, if you go back to the heading that's probably printed in your Bible, the heading gives away the joke. And well, you know, it gives away the punchline, okay? Um, we don't know what this guy is until this moment. Now, I still have, really haven't answered the question, does Jesus want me to do this too? To sell all that I have and give to the poor, to have treasure in heaven, uh, and then to follow him. I, I think we're meant to ask that question, or, or at the very least we should ask, what would I have done had I been asked that question directly by Jesus, had I been there? Technically, none of, none of us actually can follow Jesus the way um, Jesus meant for this guy. Uh, I mean, Jesus isn't around here. I mean, he's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we can only follow him in spiritual ways. The guy in our story was being asked to follow the physical Jesus through the physical spaces where he, Jesus, was headed. So if you feel relieved by that, hold on. Um, none of us are off the hook yet, so, so we'll just have to move on to part two of the story. <laughs> so in part two, Jesus debriefs with his disciples, with his apostles. You know, there's a lot of turning and seeing going on in this story. I don't know, just look where Jesus is looking. Um, before Mark tells us that, that Jesus, before the, Mark tells us that Jesus loved the guy, he, he tells that, us that Jesus was gazing at him. Jesus is looking. He says, um, now, now that the guy's gone away, he turns his gaze around to his disciples, looking at them. He says, how difficult it is for those who have great means and property to inherit the kingdom. Now, it's his disciples' turn to be shocked. And, and, and here is where we should be as well because, you know, sorry, we do qualify as, as rich. We live in one of the richest countries in the world with the richest poor people in the world. And no, don't, I'm not going political on you, okay? So let me tell you a story a missionary friend told me. Okay, uh, my missionary friend was, a, was living in Brazil. He had a friend who was working with, I'll say, genuinely poor people in Sao Paulo uh, to begin to build relationships. This guy would, would show up with the international version of Time magazine, and he'd flip through, and he'd look at the pictures and show him the pictures. And, and, and one day, uh, he showed them a picture. It was this beautiful gorge, um, this bridge ex extending over the gorge, really deep, uh, and a car parked at one end. And, and, and the caption read, and so he jumped. And, and so the people asked him, well, you know, why, why did he do that? And so the guy read a little bit further into the article, and he said, oh, he left a note in the car saying that he was too poor. And, and, and all these people kind of looked at each other, and they looked at the missionary, you know, confused. And then finally one of them said, poor? He had a car. Okay, so, so uh, let's be care careful not to think about the rich, I'll say, the way politicians do. You know, anyone who has much more money than I do is rich. I mean, that's, you know. So this is not a statement about class warfare, which is really only jealousy anyway. In the social world, Jesus addresses wealth goes hand in hand with property and possessions. And it's all connected to honor, standing, Reputation. You know, there were very few rich people in Galilee. Very few. They controlled everything. In telling him to sell his property and follow him, the guy is hearing Jesus asking him to
to renounce all his position, standing, and reputation just to go about the countryside with him. But, you know, Jesus asks something similar of any who would be his disciple. Remember the words we've already talked about in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 37. So I'll quote them. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Those are tough words too. Deny yourself. And it means renounce yourself, not deprive yourself. Lose your life for the sake of the gospel. But they're also good words. Whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is saying more of the same here in our passage today. And he says it so caringly to his startled disciples. Jesus answers them by calling them children. Children, he says, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He's talking to them with, with words of endearment. He cares for them. He tells them how difficult it is to enter the kingdom. Now, notice he just dropped the words, how difficult it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom. Entering the kingdom is hard, period, no matter who you are. It's hard because it means renouncing whatever everyone else around you is saying is the most important in life in order to embrace the way of Jesus. Everyone who says yes to Jesus says no to whatever ran their lives up to that point. That's tough to do. It's also good. Following Jesus is tough. And following Jesus is good. Jesus returns to, to talking about the difficulties of the rich man with an unusual comparison. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Now, this is about sowing. Sorry, there's no such gate called the eye. If you've ever heard that, and if you want to talk about it with me after the sermon, I'd be glad to. It's pure fiction, sorry. Um, Jesus here is exaggerating. And the disciples pick this up. Who then can be saved? That's their question. Maybe they equated wealth with God's blessing. I mean, there were so few wealthy people in the first place, but I think they are mostly responding to Jesus' declaration that everyone has difficulties entering the kingdom at the end of the age. The disciples' question is completely natural. If it's so difficult for everyone, and especially for rich people, then who can possibly be saved? And Jesus' answer is utterly fabulous. Once more, he looks at his disciples and says, with people, it's impossible. With God, everything is possible. Hmm. We can't get there. Inheriting the kingdom is never up to us. It's always up to God. We don't believe because we're so clever and we figured everything out. We believe because God opens up our eyes, because God brings people into our lives who, who live the gospel before us. None of us could believe in Jesus if God didn't make that possible. 
And none of us could live the kind of life Jesus asks of us were God not working in us to make that possible. You know, you've probably heard the line, uh, God never gives you more than you can handle. You know that's true. That's not true, sorry. Um, Of course God gives us more than we can handle all the time. He expects us to trust him for it. We can't handle life by ourselves. God does that because with him, all things are possible. God provides the way for us to believe and and then to stay faithful to him. We need to depend on him, not ourselves. It's the only way we can get through the messiness of this world, the brokenness of this world, the the sickliness of this world. Only God could have thought up the cross of Jesus the Messiah as the way to remove sin. Only God could have thought up the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah to give us new life and and to set us up for our own bodily resurrection when King Jesus returns. It's never about us and our ability. It's always about him and his work. We need to trust him. He always gets it done. Following Jesus is tough, and following Jesus is good. It's because when we put our trust in Jesus, we're always in God's hands. So have I answered the second question, does Jesus ask me to sell all I have and give it to the poor? Not really, but, but I hope I've shown you that this story is really, really becomes uh, about much more than money. The real question is, what is God guiding you to do now that involves you continually renouncing yourself, taking up your cross and following him? Which makes me feel really uncomfortable when I ask that to myself. Because I, I, I know I, always had, always, I haven't always given my all to Jesus or, or done my all in Jesus' name. But in response to this last week, um, B and I were reflecting back on our time when we were in Tucson and, and, and seeing what God has done and, and see how God is um, alone has, has made our lives possible. So we lived through 10 years in Tucson with my holding together bunches of, of part-time, simultaneous college and seminary teaching positions, all at substandard, non-livable wages. Yeah, free and reduced lunch territory here. Um, our family grew from six to seven during that time, and, and though it was tough, all of it was good. Hundreds of mops moms got blessed through, through B's encouragement, and, and, and that's where she began her, her book club ministry, and, and thousands of students at the University of Arizona and at Pima Community College read the Bible with me and heard about Jesus from me. And, and God took care of us in some really extraordinary ways. At the time, we didn't feel as though we were denying ourselves. Looking back on it now, it seems crazy. So, so Jesus' point is that with people, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Following Jesus is tough, and following Jesus is good. So let's now move on to, to part three of our story, where, where Jesus actually has to console his disciples. And they're getting really edgy now. This <laughs> is really uncomfortable. Uh, Peter, as the spokesman for all the disciples, uh, begins to say, well, you know, we left everything. You know, we followed you. <laughs> He's not sure. You know, it's like he's asking, are, are, are we okay? 
Now, we actually saw some of them leave everything to follow Jesus at the very beginning of Mark. I mean, Peter and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. James and John left their father with the hired hand in the boat, uh, leaving them behind and, and dishonoring their father, by the way, in the process. Levi left his tax booth. Now, if we do some probing, okay, we can discover that, well, Peter still had a house in Capernaum. I mean, that's where his mother-in-law was living, the one who healed in, back in chapter 1. Um, and elsewhere in Scripture, we, we do learn that Peter has a believing wife who goes around with him. Okay, that, that's irrelevant to this story here. In our passage, this is a matter of life purpose. It's about what their life is all about. It's about what my life is all about. It's about what your life is all about. It, is your life all about Jesus? Is my life all about Jesus? Peter and the other 11 certainly have left everything to follow Jesus all around Galilee, and now they're headed to Jerusalem. And that's something we can't do literally, but we can live now for Jesus and the gospel. Jesus says that when anyone forsakes, abandons, gives up, Everything that gives standing in the world, God will restore it all with mega multiples along with persecutions. This is not a formula for success. It's a declaration of the difficulties of kingdom life now. It's tough and it's good. On the one hand, Jesus is reassuring his disciples, you'll be fine and it won't be easy. But on the other hand, Jesus is challenging them and challenging us to rethink completely what their lives, what our lives should be all about. He's no longer talking in terms of wealth. It's never been just about that really anyway. He, he, he talks in terms of attachments that define people's sense of meaning and purpose and status and belonging. Now, look at the list of what they should abandon. You know, house, brothers, sisters, Mothers, fathers, children, fields, quite a range. These are all items that make people feel important. They give people bragging rights, honor, status, meaning, purpose. Jesus doesn't say these things in themselves are wrong. What he does say is that they are nothing compared to him and the gospel. He's talking about abandoning these things for his sake and for the sake of the gospel program, which is the kingdom program, which is all about the world getting lined up with God and his ways. His disciples in Mark have indeed chosen Jesus over all those things on the list, and whatever status and reputation they could have had on their own has been completely wiped out. Their status is now tied with Jesus' status and the good news about who Jesus is and what he does in the world. When, when Jesus says that those who abandoned house and siblings and parents and offspring and fields for his sake and the gospels, when he says they'll receive back 100-fold the same that they have abandoned, uh, he's not giving some kind of life investment strategy. You know, hey, if you want to get ahead in life, do this, and you've got a 10,000% return on your investment. What, what he does say is that you get a massively radical way of doing what really matters in life, along with lots of flack for doing it. It's because God's value system is not people's value system. The first are last, and the last are first. 
this is all about anything that we let our sense of worth, status, or belonging take over our lives in the place of God and his kingdom. What began as a challenge about wealth has ended with a challenge about any and all attachments that the non-Jesus world says matters. This is a call to reorder everything that we hold near and dear. Everything from job to politics to nationality to property to family to community. Everything. If we follow along carefully with Mark's story, we really shouldn't be surprised. I mean, Scott, a few weeks ago, took us through a passage where Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And in preview of coming attractions next week, we'll see it again in this chapter in Mark, the statement that's just before our memory verse, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Here in our passage, Jesus says, many who are first will be last and the last first. So, so what does all this mean for us here and now? Well, what do we put all our him, uh, pin all our hopes on? Where, where do we see our personal identity and value? Okay, so this is, I'm, I'm not trying to, this is gonna feel pinchy, okay, sorry. Um, you know, around here, people put lots of stock in family. And we just read a passage earlier, and our call to worship was in fact, um, about Jesus not necessarily renouncing his family, but saying, you know, anyone who does the will of my father is my brother, sister, mother. I mean, there's a new sense of family that, that we have by belonging to Jesus. And, and it's a sense that, that actually calls us to choose church over our tribe, which is a really tough thing to do around here. And, and, and then I, I've actually heard this expression, maybe it doesn't apply to anyone in this room, but, but I've actually heard people talk about new conquered royalty. I don't know if you ever heard that expression. Yeah, a few of you, okay. Based on who their parents are, okay? You realize that kind of standing is utterly useless in the kingdom? It, it might be useful for the kingdom, I mean, people with that kind of standing in the world can use it for the sake of the gospel and also probably invite all sorts of flack for going religious on people. And it's good, even if it's tough. All right, local schools around here talk about musky pride. I mean, that's a quote, sorry. Uh, that's questionable. It's questionable in the kingdom. Now, lots of times, you know, we've heard this in local social gatherings when people introduce themselves, they'll also say what year they graduated from John Glenn High School. Why? <laughs> I mean, it, first of all, if you, if you didn't graduate from John Glenn High School, now all of a sudden you're an outsider. You're, you're totally alienated from the group. Um, it makes people feel unwelcome. But, but it's status that's worth abandoning and replacing with Jesus and the gospel. It doesn't mean that people abandon their school ties. It, it means that they use them for the gospel and, and loving their classmates and then being prepared to catch all sorts of flack and criticism for their faith in Jesus. It's tough and it's good. 
parents, uh-oh, parents love to brag about their kids' performance, you know, in the classroom, on the stage, on the athletic field. And, and uh, that could also be a worthless brag. Uh-huh. Now, look, it doesn't mean that we, of course we encourage our kids and our grandkids when they do well, okay? So, so th- th- that's good, but, but really we mostly should nurture them in kingdom ways and kingdom values, inviting them first to connect with God, making Jesus king of their lives, and modeling kingdom life and kingdom values in the way we do family. So, so my, my three daughters who did graduate from John Glenn, they, they all did well, okay, but we didn't pressure them to strive to be high-ranking in their class. We actually gave them permission not to get A's. That's okay. Don't know. Uh, um, we encouraged them instead to work hard, learn well, have a good attitude, honor their teachers. Uh, We were and and are most pleased about how each of them uniquely lived out the kingdom by reaching out to their classmates and others, especially the ones who were getting left out, not merely to make them friends, but to be a gospel presence in their lives. Class rank really doesn't mean anything in the kingdom. All that does matter is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And they aimed at that, and and they still do. So so Jesus calls us to abandon completely whatever is about our personal success at home, at work, at school, and pursue Jesus and the gospel, and and then be prepared to be criticized for it. So just this past week, as I was thinking about this this message, I, I realized, oh my goodness, I had two really simple moments, okay, this and, and I found I was so consumed. I mean, just all the stuff I have to do, just an immense amount of work with all this COVID mess. Just, it feels like my workload has doubled. And, and so I've got all these extra tasks on my agenda. I get all caught up and worried about doing all these extra things because there's a lot to do. And, and in the process of, of, of all of that, uh, I almost missed some opportunities to care for others as Jesus would have me to do. Uh, so one of my department colleagues had said, you know, her birthday was coming up, and instead of registering the date, um, I went on with my tasks, and, and were it not for a Christian sister who showed up with decorations to put up all over the place, all right, uh, you know, I, I would have missed out on an, on an opportunity to show care. And then in another one of my classes, I, w- I was so consumed with all the stuff going on, um, that when one of my students had mentioned that two of her grandfathers had just died that, that, that week, I, 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 I said, oh, that's terrible, that's awful, and then completely fell off my radar. Um, and if it weren't for uh, a prayer request that came from one of the Muskingum Christian Fellowship students who, who notified everyone, hey, you know, pray for this girl with such and such happened, I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, so, so God is bailing me out. You know, say with God, all things are possible. Uh, and in the process, I'm learning that if my agenda is not seasoned with gospel salt, really, it's a pretty much a useless agenda. And, and I'm also aware that there will also be people complaining that it's too salty. You know, and, and that's just how it is. So, so this story in Mark is really about single-minded, all-consuming, completely sold-out, thorough responses to Jesus and the gospel. Sure, he's a good teacher because he's God. (laughs) He's the one worth abandoning everything for. The kingdom is about Jesus as king of our lives, now in view of its full arrival when he, King Jesus, returns. 
He's the one through whom God works the impossible, full participation in the kingdom at the end of the age. So I hope you see where this is taking us. What are we making first in our lives that compared with God's values should be last? What should we be doing instead that God would make first, even if everyone else outside the kingdom thinks it should be last? This is a call to a thoroughgoing, radical rethink about what should drive our lives. It should be Jesus, the gospel, and the gospel life. Nothing else matters. This is not a a pinnacle we ever arrive at. There are always new things coming up in our lives that push against the ways of the gospel, the ways of Jesus, the ways of the kingdom. What Jesus does urge each one of us to do is to trust him, because it's always good, to rely on God and and with his enabling, cut those non-kingdom ways out of our lives, replacing them with the fresh gospel ways of living. We can't ever be the right kind of human being on our own. We just can't. But with God, all things are possible. So let's trust God and go out to be his kingdom people in the world. Following Jesus may be tough, but following Jesus is good. Let's pray. Uh, As we conclude our service from Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day.